Well, good morning. Great to be in church together today and uh, have the opportunity to get into the Word today. As they mentioned, awesome news from GT North this morning, celebrating two people giving their lives to Christ. And so Pastor Eric is preaching live up there today, so I won't be addressing that campus uh, during this message. So just for anybody that cares, a little bit of that clarity there. So I hope you're doing well and that you're ready to dig into the Word of God this morning and just gonna believe that the Holy Spirit will have his way. So today I have the great privilege and opportunity to uh, round off and close this series that we've been in for the last several weeks on the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5. And, um, and just today focusing on two more virtues. You know, we, we've taken uh, a virtue a week essentially. There's been some weeks where we've combined some of those and uh, topics and talked about that. And today I rounded off with the last two. So today's the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness and self-control. Sounds compelling and awesome, right? Um, I hope it will be. But uh, before, before we jump in, I just want to take, take a moment to maybe go back to the beginning a little bit, uh, especially if you're just jumping on board with this series or perhaps you've been tracking along from the very start. But, you know, this, this letter was written to a, a region of churches, uh, so it's addressed to the Galatians, it's called Galatians, but Galatia was a, a larger general region, which today is modern day Turkey, and throughout that region there was lots of small Jesus communities, people that heard the good news about Jesus, became followers of him, probably set up in mostly house churches, perhaps some larger meeting areas, and, uh, and, and they were doing the best they could to 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 grow in, in Christ and to uh, steward the, the good news, the, the message about Jesus in the culture of their day. It was very much permeated by Greco-Roman uh, culture and paganistic worship practices that were social norms and that dictated a lot of uh, societal structures and, and festivals and things like that. So imagine being immersed in that. Today, we have our own version of that, but today I'm hoping that we can together try to enter that first century New Testament world and, and begin to glean from that and hopefully apply it to our cultural context today. So Paul writes to the churches in Galatia to refute a very, um, very pointed issue. It wasn't just, all right, I'm gonna give you some things to live by and all that kind of stuff. He, he's making an argument throughout this entire book to refute some false doctrines that are being taught and getting people off course from what they were originally taught. And I know that we face that in our own time as well. And this specific thing that he was uh, dealing with with them was that there were people uh, of, from the Ju Judaism, uh, the Jewish faith, that were probably uh, maybe Messianic Jews, maybe not so, uh, you know, so sincere in their faith in Jesus, but they were definitely devout in their Jewish faith and they knew that these Jesus following communities were popping up and the message was that you're included in this and you don't have to be Jewish to, to be a part of this family. And, and for them, the, the, the mark of Judaism among males was that every male was to be circumcised. That was a part of the conversion experience. It wasn't that they didn't allow uh, Jewish converts 
prior to Jesus, but they had to undergo certain Jewish rituals from the Mosaic law in order for that to be legitimate. And so you have these people that we now call the Judaizers that are spreading this message, telling all of these Gentile Christians, your faith in Jesus is not complete. Your, your faith is not enough. You also need to follow the Mosaic law. You need these uh, food restriction laws. You need these festival laws and observing the Sabbath day. Your men need to be circumcised. All of this stuff that we think, man, this is crazy. But imagine today somebody telling you all of these works that you have to do in order for your faith to be legitimate apart from just faith in Jesus, a confession in him, and him setting us free, and us having freedom in him. Maybe your mind can think of that. You know, We have some brothers and sisters in other, other parts of the church family that, that do church that way. Do's and don'ts, and that's what it is. This is how, but we know that faith is so much deeper. Faith is so much more, and in an essence, it's so much more simple. It's just faith in Jesus, a belief in him who he says he is, and that he wants to change us from the inside out, making us a new creation in him. So hopefully that brings you up to speed. There's some wonky stuff in that whole context, but I hope you're following with me here. So as we begin, I may go back you know, to some of these scriptures that we'll read today, and maybe I don't. We'll see what happens, okay? My brain, I'm just a little scattered today. We've been having a week as a family. I have a six-year-old boy, a five-year-old girl, an almost nine-month-old girl, and they are just, they're awesome, but they just don't know how to sleep. I'll tell you what. And we tried to take a, a couple-day trip down to visit some friends in Virginia, and it was just wild, and it was good, but it was just crazy. My kids did not do good being in a new environment. Then we drove back, the long drive back, and I had to do a funeral yesterday for a, a dear friend that was my neighbor. And, uh, and so it, it was just a lot going on. And so today, I don't know. I'm just letting you know that, give you some context. You know, we're friends, we're family. I just want to let you know if I come across a different way than you're used to me. Yeah, give me a little grace, all right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, here's, here's something that I just think is so important. The public reading of Scripture. There's a lot of words I can say about Scripture. In fact, there's been a lot of words, countless words, written about the Scriptures. But the Scriptures themselves, the are breathed of God, and God speaks to us today through his word. And so I'm gonna read a larger chunk of scripture today than what we might normally read, but I just wanna let the text do what it does. And so we're just gonna lock in, put on your listening ears. If you're gonna follow along the word, either on the screens, with the paper Bible, with a digital Bible on your phone, whatever you're gonna do, but let's allow the word of God to just speak to us today, and then I'll take some time to walk through some topics. All right, so let's start with Galatians chapter five in verse 13. The word of God says, for you were called to freedom. Keep in mind the context that I just gave you. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single command. Namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, 
And the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh, for these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I am warning you, as I have warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is truth, and Holy Spirit, that you guide us into all truth. Today, God, would you use this time that we have together, uh, and, and would you give us fresh revelation as we dive into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There's lots, of, lots going on that Paul is addressing here, but big themes that he's saying is, is all around the idea of love, and not just love as some uh, mysterious thing that can't really be defined, it's ambiguous. No, love as defined by scripture. You know, the word agape, love, in the Greek was really exclusive to the Christian communities. They're the only ones that really use that word to describe the, the unconditional, unfailing love of God towards people that would put their faith in him, and, and all people, and then our love in response to him and response to those around us. And so it, it is that kind of love that Paul is talking about here in, in the context of community. You know, everything that he talks about here, all of the virtues that are touched upon here, all really can show themselves within community. Anybody can say, oh yeah, I love. Anybody can say, yeah, I'm kind. But when the chips are down, when you're in a group of people where maybe somebody's rubbing you the wrong way, Maybe somebody thinks something different than you, believes something different than you, has a different perspective on something than you, then that will really determine if you have that virtue or not. And so Paul is talking about this to a community of people. So when it comes to the Christian faith, you know, it's not just about as an individual, you know, and this is, this is the problem with our cultural context today. So much uh, advertisement and marketing is just about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Do you want it? You got it. You asked for it? You got it. Toyota. Anybody remember that one? Old. You know, I'm not even that old, but I just know that stuff. Anyway, you know, it, it's so driven towards you. You even think about the stuff that we used to have, you know, an iPod, MySpace, which doesn't exist anymore, but Facebook. It's all about what, what can I put out there? What can I show people about my life and how good I am and all the great stuff that I did? And it, you know, we, we've created a me-centric world. That's our context. 
And, and we can easily take the Christian faith and turn it into a form of Buddhism where it's really about my individual life, my individual piety as I might want to ascend through the ranks of, of spirituality and achieve some level of morality that I'm better than everybody else. Yes, hallelujah. No, it doesn't work that way. And we can't do that. And honestly, it, we weren't created to do that. We're created to be in relationship with one another. We are created to be in community. And so within that is where we can really see, are we working these things out? Is the fruit of the Spirit being produced in my life? And that's the question that I want to address today and the part that we have to play in that. You know, I talked a little bit about, um, as I read from Scripture, Paul is talking about these, these two things that are in opposition against one another in Believers, because that's who he's writing to. He's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians. And, I, and my assumption today is that the majority of this room are followers of Jesus. And so let's hear it from that vantage point. He's talking about these two, two things that are in opposition to one another, and that's the desire of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. When we become a Christian, we are saved. We, right in that moment, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you make the good confession that he is Lord, that he is God, when you surrender your life to him and believe that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, and, and that through his death and resurrection we have life in his name, instantaneously you're a new creation. But also, we are being made into a new creation. And one day, we will inhabit the new creation. And so this is a concept of the now and the not yet. Something happens immediately. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. However, that doesn't take away all of the old desire, the old person. Paul writes in other letters about the importance of clothing ourselves with Christ. Well, think about that. You have to make the choice to put clothes on today, and I'm glad everybody made that decision. I'll tell you what. We have to make that decision being clothed with Christ. Otherwise, it's just the old nature. We have to, there's a part that we have to play in it. So even though Christ does something in us that only he can do, there's still a part in this relationship that we have to play, okay? It's that we don't become robots just because we pray to prayer. We don't become robots just because we have the discipline of Bible reading and prayer. Although those are important, we need that. That's not it. We have something to do. We have to outwork it in our lives. And so Paul is talking about being led by the Spirit versus being led by the flesh. And some theologians, I believe it was even you know, some of the reformers, referred to the, the letter to the Galatians as Romans in seed form. So if you know the book of Romans, this is one of like Paul's masterpiece works. I mean, the theology in Romans is just so rich, so deep, and, and so awesome. I mean, a study in Romans, would just that'll last you forever. There's just some good stake in that, in that book, and, and really his theology has developed more. So Romans is the theological development of the truths of Galatians, and he talks about it even more, and I think, you know, maybe we'll just go there for a second, if, 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 if I can in, indulge you a little bit here. Paul writes in Romans 8, and, and this is known as the believer's relationship to the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You, you're catching that. There's something important about a walking in accordance to the spirit rather than in accordance to the flesh. And this is a decision that we have to make ourselves. We can control that. We are responsible for that. And so he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, I didn't do this in the last service, but this is just too good right now, I'm sorry. Brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading you again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if indeed children... And if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Christian formation sometimes can feel a lot like suffering. We don't know suffering the way the rest of the world knows suffering. We're really blessed in our country. Doesn't mean that we don't have ways in which we suffer, but sometimes that, that path of just trying to live the Christian life, we can find ourselves in places where it's like, man, this is, this is I'm, I'm suffering over this. This is tough. It can weigh on you. You know, when, when, when really the chips are down and it comes to actually putting your faith into action even, that's purifying. That's refining. That's something that's against the grain of the old nature, which is the flesh. So these two, if I can jump back to where I was, the flesh and the spirit work in opposition to one another. They both exist. And it's up to us to decide who we're going to follow. It's up to us to decide who we're going to walk with. All right? Do you ever go for a walk with somebody? There's a scripture that says two do not walk together unless they've decided to do so beforehand. So we need to decide who it is that we're going to walk with. Who's your walking partner going to be? Because that's going to determine the fruit that abounds in your life. Amen. So when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit versus the, uh, the acts of the flesh, th there's, there's actually a, a distinction there. When he talks about acts of the flesh, this is something that humans do. This is human performance. The emphasis is on human effect. But the fruit of the Spirit is an emphasis on divine empowerment. So it's something that the Spirit enables, something that the Spirit sets out to do in us, but now what I hope to shed light on today is that we have a part to play in that. When I think about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, I, I think about Jesus' discourse in John 15 when he's talking about the vine 
and the branches. He is the vine. We are the, we are the branches. And you know, he cuts off every vine that doesn't bear fruit and, and goes on and on with that. And I, I see a similar theme here in, in connection with Galatians 5. And the principle that, that I see in that is that what you abide in determines what you will abound in. So if you abide in the flesh, you're going to produce what the flesh desires. But if you abide in the spirit, you will abound in what the spirit desires for your life. And Paul spells it out. The difference between, look at the 15 vices. Man, there's 15. How wretched are we as human beings, huh? And the list could go even on and on and on from there. The fruit of the spirit, only nine virtues. But I'll tell you what, those things are hard to live out. We need the Spirit to help us in our weakness. And so the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. And I like to use the image of, of, of an orange. You know, um, when I was young, growing up, Sunday school, fruit of the Spirit lessons would be like, you know, a cluster of grapes here, that's, you know, that's love, and then a banana, and then, you know, all different varieties of fruit. And, and really, Paul is using fruit in the singular here. And when you think about an orange, an orange is kind of has built into it just little slices. You don't even have to get out a knife. You just got to peel it up, and you get perfect little slices. You know, I, I was thinking about that, and I was peeling open a clementine for my kids the other day, and that one had exactly nine slices. I'm like, whoa! I got another one out, and I'm like, oh no, that one had twelve. Crap! Like I thought it was so cool. Like imagine they all had nine, but but it didn't. It was just that one. It worked. It worked in that moment. But it's it, it's a, it's a single package. All of the virtues are a single package. And so we, we don't have the right, and we can't really say that I have love, I have peace, I have joy, but I'll leave kindness and, and self-control to carry. You know, I, we can't do that. So we, we should expect to see all of this flourishing in our lives if we're living a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. And so this doesn't mean that it's all automatic without any effort on our part, but what we have to do is think about it this way. And there's one theologian, I was reading his commentary, and so N.T. Wright puts it this way, speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. He said, these qualities are, in short, virtues. Things that you have to think through, work at, cultivate, and practice. And I just think there's so much truth in that. You know, it's just not a done deal. Uh, and, and if I don't, because sometimes we can grade ourselves and saying, oh man, like I'm not seeing this produced in my life and maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not, what, what am I doing wrong in the relationship? And you know, sometimes it is important to have that kind of evaluation, but not to the point of shaming, self-deprecation, you know, kind of cutting ourselves off from the family of faith, but really working out, Holy Spirit reveal where I need to get things right. But the fact that we do have a part to play, these are things that we have to think through, work at, cultivate and practice. So think about that word, cultivate. To grow anything takes intentional and hard work for there to be a healthy crop. There's pruning, there's protection from pestilence, there's watering, there's soil cultivation, there's, is the environment right? You know, you probably couldn't successfully plant an orange grove in Pennsylvania. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you could do that. So there's all of these things that you have to think about, and a lot of work that goes into there being healthy fruit that can be, you know, nourished and used for food and all that kind of stuff. And so the same goes for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And, and the context of this is talking about the formation of a Christian, something that has been 
affected by Christ and the Holy Spirit at work within us, but it's like a seed that's been planted. So when we come into faith in Jesus, the seed's been planted, but that seed needs nurturing like a young plant if it is to grow to maturity and to produce the fruit that will exhibit God's Jesus-shaped love to the world. Another theme around Galatians is just the, the, the good news about Jesus is purity and that no works of the flesh can, can make you more saved. It's all the work of Jesus. Uh, and then ethics, you know, the good practice of living. And, and so we draw from that. And so what that speaks of is, is a word known as orthodoxy, which is right belief about something, and then orthopraxy, which is the right belief about something put into the right practice. And so taking what we know and using it appropriately. And so that's what's going on here. Again, as I thought more about this, you know, cultivating and, and fruit of the spirit, growing things, formation, I began to think about the word nurturing or to nurture. And if you look up the simple definition of that word, when I found, I believe it was Webster's, and it starts out with, it defined as training, nurture, training. Ah, that's interesting. Something that nourishes. The sum of environmental factors influencing the behavior and traits expressed by an organism to educate and to further the development of. These are all ways in which the word nurture is defined. And I thought, wow, that kind of is fitting with what I believe Paul is instructing the church with here and having a perspective of the work of the Holy Spirit and the fruit that is to be expected through his work in our lives. And so there's something that we have to do. There's training, there's the right environment, there's education, there's the further development of. You know, and I couldn't help but think about our mission as a church, which is to reach people and to grow together in Christ. We, we want to be growing. We want to be further developing in the things of God here and helping you to do the same. We're growing together. We're not on all the same parts of the journey, but we can all learn from one another and help one another, and that's what Christian community is all about. So if these virtues are things that we have to think through, work at, cultivate, and practice, well, let's jump to the ones that we're focusing on today. So that would mean that we need to think through, work at, cultivate, and practice gentleness. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? All the guys in the room, you know how, what gentleness is all about, right? I felt like, man, initially, initially this was the only topic I was gonna preach on, and then we had to make some shifts in the church calendar, which I was excited about, because I could throw self-control into the mix here and all that stuff, but first I'm like, gentleness, how am I gonna talk about that? And so getting into the word, though, and, and into the Greek language and, and other places where that word is used in scripture, I began to find what this word actually means. So it's not like thinking of like a soft touch, you know, somebody that's soft or soft-spoken or, you know, weak and things like that that would come to mind. It's really the same word is, is also translated as the word meek or meekness. And as I got into that some more, I realized, you know what? Meekness isn't weakness. And what it is, is something so much greater and so much harder to do. Jesus used this same word that Paul uh, has as gentleness in, in his letter here, but Jesus in Matthew 5, 5 said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, that's great. I love the result, inheriting the earth. That's awesome. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're invited into that. We're involved in that, and that's awesome. I want to inherit that new heavens and new earth, but 
You gotta be meek for it. Well, what does that mean? Okay. Meekness can be boiled down to humility. In fact, you could take all nine virtues and it all takes humility if you're gonna live it out properly in community. How easy it is for us to become haughty, how easy it is for us to not see our own flaws and failures but to see it in other people. So really to live these things out takes humility and that's, that's meekness, that's gentleness. James, the brother of Jesus, used that, the same word uh, humility, gentleness, you know, meekness in connection with wisdom. That if you truly are full of wisdom, then you know how to do the works of the Spirit with gentleness, with humility. So there's an important connection there. And so if I haven't convinced you yet of how important this virtue is, I'm going to give you a little challenge here. If you think it's weak to be meek, try being meek for a week. Cheesiest rhyme ever. But those things are, are memorable, and honestly, it's the hardest thing to do, because now if you're thinking about that, and knowing, okay, this, this means humility, all of the circumstances, situations you might find yourself in this week where you need to use humility, where you need to have humility, and, and you'll quickly realize, wow, I do. Wow, I didn't realize I could be so prideful. Wow, I didn't realize I could be so arrogant. And you know, this is important, and this is, this is kind of what I'm getting at here in the way that the Spirit is working something in our lives, but that we also have a part to play in this. Paul uses this word gentleness again, uh, again, referring to humility uh, in Galatians 6.1, where he's talking about, again, Christian community, how this is all outworking itself out. Um, and he says, brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person but listen to how you do it, in a spirit of gentleness. And then pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted too. So don't be too haughty to think that you can't be pulled into somebody else's sin. And you know, sometimes we can you know, see other people's sin and maybe it's not something that you ever struggled with so you can't really understand. And even then, we can have a prideful spirit about us and not a spirit of gentleness. And so it's so important because here's the thing, we're all gonna mess up. If you're actually doing life with people, you're gonna see them fail. I'm looking over here at my good friend Aaron Hepler. He's seen me fail, and he's loved me anyway. I've seen him fail, loved him anyway, and we sharpen one another, okay? We grew up since we were teenagers here in the church, and so there's something important about knowing one another, loving one another, and how you handle one another when they're working through things. It's very important, and so we can't suppose that, oh, we're gonna live a perfect sinless life, no, and that when we do see people tripping up and falling, even the words of Jesus, take out the plank in your own eye before you remove the speck in somebody else's eye, you know, but in a spirit of humility, let's restore one another, encourage one another to get back on the path that God has for you, because it will happen, and you're going to want that kind of grace in your life, and again, bringing it back to you, treat others the way you want to be treated, Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. So if we need to think through, work at, cultivate, and practice gentleness, we also need to think through, work at, cultivate, and practice self-control. And I think that these two really work together nicely, humility and self-control. 
Now we think, well, aren't we talking about what the Spirit does? This is, the Spirit does it. There's the acts of the flesh, that's what people do, and then there's the fruit the Spirit produces, that's what the Spirit does, yes. But so how can we say, oh, but you can control yourself? Yes, we need that. We have to make the choice to live in obedience to the Spirit's prompting in our lives. So he guides into all truth. So if we know the truth, it's been made plain to us, now what are we doing with it? It's just taking the knowledge and now rightly applying it. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. I'm believing the right thing. I know what the word is. Now I need to rightly apply it, and that's on me. The Spirit can't make me do that. I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. I'm an imager of God, and I have a free will to choose to live in obedience and to walk according to the Spirit, or I can choose to be in disobedience and walk according to the flesh, okay? And God's grace is always available to us. His mercies are new each and every morning, but that doesn't mean that we, again, like Paul said earlier on, that we don't use our freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, okay? We are free in Christ, and that's awesome, but let's use that freedom to choose to willingly live in submission, yielding to the Holy Spirit and his will and his desires for our life. And so even self-control, it sounds like it's absorbed in the self, but it really isn't. You can't really see the fruit of self-control unless it's in the context of community. Again, the person that annoys you to no end, the person that you just can't stand, the the argument of, of an particular issue that you just are just disgusted by and and okay you got to choose am I going to use self-control am I going to hold my tongue here am I going to choose to think something positive about this like there's all kinds of things that go on we need self-control in our lives the spirit gives us what we need in order to do that we have to make the choice to live that way so again I want to think about the the definition of nurturing so if I'm gonna nurture self-control in my life, that takes training. I have to make sure I have the right environment. I have to educate myself. I have to further in the development of that. So we have received a new nature in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about that as early in Galatians and he talks about it later in 2 Corinthians chapter five, that this idea of new creation, that's what God is doing. You know, in the, in the early church, the, the, the whole message wasn't believe in this so that when you die, you go to heaven. That just wasn't the message. And too often, that's become the popular gospel message that we give people. Now, is that true? Do you need to have faith in Jesus so that when you die, you go to heaven? Absolutely. But is that the end of the story? Absolutely not. It's life after life after death because there is a resurrection to come. This is on my brain just because I did a funeral yesterday. We don't talk enough about resurrection. We talk about Jesus' resurrection, but the point is is that we are all going to have a resurrection. So even if I die today and I'm buried six feet under, at some point when Christ returns, I will spring forth from the ground with with an imperishable body, a glorified body, because Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. He brought the future into the present in his own resurrection, which we will all experience ourselves. 
He was the same but different. There's something different, imperishable, glorified, and he wants to share that with us. So I don't want to just tell people, make this decision to follow Jesus so that if you die, when you die, you'll go to heaven. No, because heaven isn't the final destination. God is all about living in and among his people. That's always been the plan. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God created a good creation, which he intends to rescue and restore just like he intends to rescue and restore humanity. It's all inclusive. It's a whole package, and that's what we get to look forward to, but that's what we have to start implementing in the here and now. It's his world. It doesn't look like it sometimes, but it's his, and that's part of our message, and we gotta stand to it, even when the opposition is coming against us. Hallelujah, I gotta get back on track here. So we have received a new nature in Christ Jesus. We're new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. And so we have a responsibility to nurture the new nature. Just an interesting point is that some theologians, they they think that when Paul gets to saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, some think that, you know, because there wasn't punctuation in the original Greek, but that perhaps it's love, semicolon, and then I'm going to define what that love is through joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, and, and whether that's the way to interpret it or not, I still think it serves uh, as a helpful point of clarity that love is really what binds it all together. So we have love at the beginning of this list of nine virtues and self-control at the end. And I think that when you think about love working through those, love, love is going to compel me to, to, to choose joy and to be joyful in life, you know, to, 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 be, uh, to, to, to live in peace and, and to be kind and all that. Love is going to compel me towards that. But self-control in the opposite is going to help me actually work that out, okay? Because I'm going to choose through humility, okay, gentleness. If I go backwards, self-control, gentleness, or humility, humility is going to allow me to, to remain faithful, uh, through thick and thin, you know? Come on, we need some faithfulness again. We need, we need faithfulness to be like, so many people just wanna jump ship so quickly. There's so many young people I'm seeing that just any offense or anything wrong that they ever experienced in the church, which honestly sometimes isn't even that bad of a thing, immediately turns into, well, I'm gonna deconstruct my faith. You know, I, I, I don't know, the churches, they just don't have this right, and oh man, I'm just gonna tear it all apart. And the problem with deconstruction is that there's no coming back from that. You know, people think that they can tear down their faith and then rebuild it from the ground up, and honestly, that's, a, that's Christian Buddhism. That's trying to live out your own piety and, 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 and ascend to some level of spirituality that you're better than everybody else and you have it all figured out and you don't want to do it in the context of community that might have a different perspective than you. This is why community is important. Iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. We need that in our lives. I was reading the word to my kids the other night. We were just having somewhat of a rough evening and I thought, you know what? Instead of just doing a prayer before bed, let's just read the word together. And, um, you know, I'm not super spiritual. I don't always read the word to my kids at night. But on that particular night, I thought, hey, this is going to be good. And so I picked a scripture that I thought, you know, this is, 
it's a good one for kids to remember and, you know, just spoke to what was happening that evening. And so I was at a 2 Timothy 1.7 where it says, for God has not given us a spirit that makes us afraid. Some translations say timidity, spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-control. And as I read that, my, my son was like, Dad, he's like, what was that last one again? I said, oh, self-control. He said, yeah. He says, man, that is just so hard to do. I was like, yeah, but it, it is. He's like, yeah, you know, especially like when, when your parents, you know, just won't let you do what you want to do, like play, play the video game and all that. And I'm like, uh, uh-huh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're talking to dad about it, you know, because I'm the one that's telling you, that screen time's over. And he was, but he, he was honestly, the word was working in his life. He was thinking like, you know what, sometimes I overreact in anger because I'm not getting my way. He's only six years old. And I think, you know what, like this stuff isn't hard to understand, but it is hard to do, you know? And we need the Spirit's empowerment to help us to do it. So these, this is working together, okay? So if we have the flesh and the Spirit working in opposition to one another, we also have the Spirit working in tandem with us to help us. So yeah, I know it's hard, but I'm here. Yes, I know it's hard, but I'm showing you the way. Here's the conviction. Here's the direction. Are you going to choose it? You're going to choose to walk with me? You're going to choose this right now? And so we have to make that decision. My daughter jumped in on that conversation that she heard us talking about. It. She said, yeah. I said, well, you know, I tell my friends that you, know, you have to obey your parents because that's what we need to do. That's what God wants us to do. We need to obey. And I even just saw that, you know, how profound. Because obedience is just that. It's, it's that choice. Am I going to choose to be obedient to God through loving when I don't feel like it or when it's not coming naturally? To, to be kind, to be humble, to be self-controlled. You know, I need to lean on the Holy Spirit and choose to be obedient. And so I kind of see self-control is the choice to put knowledge into practice. Self-control is the intentional choice to act in obedience, and not just self-control, all the virtues for that matter. And so think about how many choices that we have to make in a day. So many decisions that we're faced with just in one day, let alone a whole week, let alone, let alone a whole month, let alone a whole year. Thousands upon thousands of choices and decisions that need to be made. Some, you know, are, are, don't, really, don't really matter. You can choose whatever you want to do and it has no great impact on the world. And other decisions are major decisions, major choices. And it's the thousands of intentional choices to live by the Spirit that result in positive responses and reactions by second nature when it matters most. That term second nature, you know, we use that, it's just, you know, when you're learning how to do something new for the first time, whether that's driving a car, riding a bike, playing a sport, there are certain things that you have to really think through. You're taught this is what you do. You know, for instance, driving stick shift, I'll never forget learning that. All the, th oh, man, foot on the clutch, on the brake, you know, all the things that you had to think through and, and do right. And, and as you're doing it, you know, maybe you're grinding that clutch and, you know, it takes time to, to get the rhythm down right or to make sure you're shifting properly at the right times, whatever. And then eventually it just becomes second nature. You don't even have to think about it anymore. You've done it so many times. You, you've followed the repeated process so many times that now it's just innate. You got it down. Well, I wonder, and I do believe, 
that this is how it works with the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Think about that, that over time, if we continually choose love, choose joy, choose peace, choose patience, choose kindness, choose goodness, choose faithfulness, choose gentleness, and choose self-control, that instinctively, and by second nature, or might I say, the new nature, these compounded decisions over time will become my immediate response in situations where it's needed. And so that's what maturity is. That's what Christian formation is. That's what walking and being led by the Spirit looks like. It's, he's there, he's within us, he empowers us, he directs us, he shows us, but then we have to choose to take him by the hand and walk in his direction. Amen. I love what the theologian Gordon Fee wrote on this particular passage of scripture. He said, the spirit is God's effective response to the problem of the flesh, whose reign was brought to an end through Christ and whose effect in the believer is negated by the empowering of the spirit. Now listen to this. But what Christ and the spirit have affected, the believer must actively participate in by walking by and behaving in keeping with the Spirit. And so if there's one thing that you can remember from today, and hopefully there's many things that, that I've challenged you and that we can all consider and think about and mull through together in God's Word, if you forget it all, remember this one thing, that the fruit of the Spirit in my life and in your life is produced by making the Spirit the pursuit of your life. You gotta seek Him. You gotta seek in relationship with him because he is the presence of God on the earth right now. Right now. There was a time when the God was on the earth through Jesus in the flesh. Now we're living in the time where he's poured out his spirit on all flesh. We are the new temple. He dwells within us and among us. Corporately as the body of Christ, we are his temple and individually, we are his temple. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why we can experience his, his presence in such a great way when we're gathered together in a service like this. And so I wanna challenge you today to think about walking and keeping in step with the Spirit by nurturing the new nature that you have in him. I wanna close in prayer, and then I'm gonna send you off on your day. But can we just posture our hearts, maybe close your eyes, bow your head and just let's just leave room in the last couple minutes we have here just for the Holy Spirit to speak to us let's pray God we thank you for your word and how it instructs us and how it corrects us and brings rebuke when it's needed and trains us in righteousness Holy Spirit we ask right now that you would reveal anything in us that might be standing in the way of us living in right relationship with you. Holy Spirit, would you convict us of sin and would you reveal us of, of places where we got things wrong and maybe need some realignment today? God, we choose to surrender to you now and to your will, to your lordship, and to the desires of your spirit so that we may abound in the fruit of the spirit in our life. Would you help us, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Well, I hope that word was good for you today, church. It's been a great day. And just 
love, love being together and, and being encouraged and inspired by what God is doing in the here and now. So before we go, I just wanna pray a blessing over you and we'll get out of here. So why don't you stand up on your feet. If you feel comfortable or if you want to, you can put your hands out in, in a way to just posture to receive. Hallelujah. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, working through you for all those to whom he sends you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church.